Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's all about manners this morning. The collective world of politics appears to have got its knickers in a twist about some thuggish morons who appear to have spent most of yesterday shouting abuse at various figures in Westminster they didn't agree with. Their behaviour has elicited lots of head-shaking and finger-wagging from the more civilised sides of the Brexit debate, but surely there's very clear rules of engagement when it comes to political discourse around the Palace of Westminster. If you want to behave like a football hooligan, then prepare to be treated like one by the police. Uh, the Independent Republic will be down there later on this week, no doubt. Uh, so you better stand by your beds because we won't put up with that sort of behaviour one way or another. 0344 499 1000. First up though, remember when Gatwick Airport was paralysed because of a drone? Remember when the authorities told us they couldn't shoot it down? Remember when they said it was next to impossible to construct a defence system even though one was in use at a prison in the Channel Islands? Well apparently that was all wrong. How do we know? Because all of the things that they said they could not do are now going to happen. Gatwick and Heathrow airports are about to deploy all kinds of defence systems to stop it happening ever again and if it was that easy why didn't they do it before now what's the story with all the other airports around the country and by the way will we ever find out if there was ever an actual drone 0344 499 1000 later on in the show we'll be finding out why gardening could actually help you live longer and why women over 50 are being told they're too old to love disgraceful 0344 499 1000 you'll listen to me mike graham right here on talk radio the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio so you'll all remember the chaos just before christmas it was around about wednesday to friday uh, of the week week just before christmas eve on the monday uh, gatwick airport was shut down for approximately 36 hours we were told that there were a series of drones being flown mischievously by professional agitators People who were trying to disrupt uh, not least the airport traffic, but also perhaps uh, the entire country, bring it to a standstill, paralysing uh, the airwaves of this country. And we were told that the police could not shoot them down. We were told that the army couldn't do anything about it. We were told that there's absolutely no chance of putting up any kind of jamming device because that would affect the planes and everything else in the area. All sorts of excuses were made. We still don't know, actually, if there ever was a drone. We still don't know whether the police were right to say that actually they think they might have been chasing their own tails and shooting at their own drone. Uh, which was also looking for the drone that may or may not have existed. The whole story is a complete and utter mess, and we're going to have to try and figure out what on earth is going on. We're told this morning, by the way, uh, that now jamming devices are going to be uh, brought into uh, Heathrow and to Gatwick. My first question would be, well, that's all very well. What about all the other airports in the country? Let's go to Chris Phillips, the Security Specialist, Managing Director of IPPSO, IPSO, uh, to tell us precisely where we are with this bizarre story. Chris, a very good morning to you. 
Good morning. Good Thanks morning, very much indeed for joining us. I have to say, I'm very, very much flummoxed by this story. I always was flummoxed by it. I still don't really know what happened, and I still don't really understand why all the things that they're now saying they're going to do, they couldn't have done uh, back in December. Well, uh, to be honest, right, this is a, a perfect example of where companies, organisations um, understand and are being told about risks, about things that can happen to them, and they put their um, they put them on the back burner because it costs too much money to solve the problem. Yes, uh, and then of course, when the problem actually exists, it it, it actually costs. Uh, 5,000 times more than the, <laughs> the, than the potential uh, uh, thing to solve it would have cost in the first place. So there have been, uh, there are many companies out there that can, can do this stuff, that can, that can alter, interfere with drones when they're being misused. Uh, but of course, the legislation's not there specifically um, to stop this drone use. I don't think it's going to be in the near future. Uh, and I think it does show that, uh, that government is so far behind uh, innovation. Innovation is coming in so quickly that, that laws aren't being made quick enough to deal with the threats that they pose. Right. Well, that's fine and dandy. And I understand that, you know, it's difficult to deal with technology sometimes when you are slightly behind the curve. However, uh, why do they have to tell us a load of lies? Because don't forget, we were told in some quite vivid detail that drones had been spotted, sometimes up as high as the uh, air traffic control tower, you know, flashing lights at the people inside the tower, taunting them seemingly, and then shooting off again, landing on the runway, uh, taunting uh, the uh, the authorities once more. Now, all of that now is in is in doubt, and nobody knows if it actually happened. Yeah, I, I'm pretty confident there were drones there. Are but you? Uh, you were quite right to say, actually, that the, the police in the area do use drones as well. So, yeah. So, you know, they could have been uh, misspotted because they hadn't had the systems in place to actually know exactly what's going on. Uh, and, and you're effectively, uh, in, in those circumstances, working by people on the ground, looking up and seeing something going on. And, of course, a drone moves from one area to another area very quickly. So they could have been chasing their tails. They could have been looking at the police drone. Uh, I, I'm not privy to that uh, uh, information. No. But what I do know is if you don't have the kit to, to know what's going on, then then you are working blind and... Airports will be closed, and I think you mentioned the fact that how you know what the situation with the other airports yeah. is the same as it was with Gatwick. So, so this could happen elsewhere. And and listen, it's not only airports. Um, you know, the one thing that uh, that we do with security is, is is generally put in at ground level. So you put fences in uh, to stop people climbing over them. But of course, a drone and a drone effectively with explosives on board mm. or guns on board can just flip over those. And, and prisons have been learning this. No, indeed. Well, days. one of the one of the things that I've seen over the course of the last month or so uh, is a guy uh, who uh, was, I think, a, a security specialist from Israel who said that they've certainly experienced over there uh, the use of drones for terrorism purposes. And they've been able to construct a kind of a, almost like a Star Wars defence system, if you like, which stops the drones from coming anywhere near anywhere where they could do any harm or do any danger. So clearly there are systems available that you can use and that you can protect yourself with. Because it seems to me that all of these laws that are being brought in, uh, which, which should have been brought in by Chris Grayling maybe a year or so ago, all they are is good for people who um, basically abide by the law. For example, you know, there's a no-fly zone uh, which is going to be extended from uh, one-third of a mile to an entire mile. All very well and good if you are actually law-abiding, but if you're not law-abiding, why would you bother with that? Exactly, but but you've got to remember that you know, we're still we're now looking at things that we knew about 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Drones can carry big objects. 
Amazon have been using them or thinking about using them to deliver parcels. Now, listen, wh- where's the next stage going with this? We're, well, in Dubai, they're actually using uh, the police officers there are testing out motorbikes that they can fly drones, uh, drone motorbikes that they can actually fly to the scene of incidents in. So, you know, people are going to be flying about in these things within a very short period of time. And we need to rethink. Uh, a lot of our legislation, a lot of how we do things, and, and whether we actually want people to be able to fly over our defences and into secure sites. Because this is not just about airports. This is about critical national infrastructure. This is about delivering packages into into places that we really don't want uh, want packages to be delivered into. Yeah. So, so the, you know, things are changing very quickly, and uh, that really government need to get a, get a handle on this uh, because the, the 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 products are out there. The Israelis build this products because they feel the threat. They are being threatened by this stuff. In uh, in Basra, um, uh, sorry, Bagra Air Base, uh, you know, they felt the, the fear of, of devices like this coming in. So devices are there to, to protect against this, uh, and they just haven't been deployed. No, indeed. So, I mean, what's your best kind of summation of what may have happened back in December? Because, you know, again, we were told that whoever was involved in running this drone, uh, be it one or several, uh, was clearly doing it for nuisance value and or to disrupt. But there doesn't seem to be any evidence of that. No, well, I think my guess is as good as yours with this because uh, it's mysteriously gone quiet, and that usually means that the whole thing's a bit of a bit of a farce. Um, clearly, there were drones up, uh, and uh, of course, around that time, around that area, I'm sure a lot of people would have uh, would have then been putting drones up just to see what was going on. Mm. Um, we've got professional drone people, photographers using them, but we've, of course, we've now got these things that are being bought for kids. Uh, and uh, kids are just taking them out and flying them around. Yeah. And uh, it's as simple as that. And the, the, if you don't have the equipment in place to actually work out what's going on, to deal with the threat, then then you are working blind. And that's what was happening. And I don't think we'll ever find out, actually, what uh, what happened in, uh, in Gatwick. No. Uh, which, which, which troubles me slightly, because I feel as though, as members of the public and people who use airports and people who travel around freely and, and have the right to know stuff, I think we do have the right to know exactly what happened. I mean, why can we not find out? Why can we not get somebody, whether it's an MP uh, or somebody from the uh, inside of the kind of security business, to just insist on on the truth? Well, I, I don't. I'm not sure anyone knows the truth. That's that's the whole point of this. There will definitely be situations where drones have been spotted, um, but whose drone? I mean, these things are small, tiny. If you haven't got the actual equipment to identify these things, then then you won't know whether it's a police drone or you won't know whether it's. Uh, uh, whether it's a, a suspicious one, and don't forget, they, you know, they, we're not talking about just drones because, the, you know, they're fairly reasonably small bits of kit, although some of them are big, quite big now. But uh, but generally, they're not going to actually bring a plane down. It might cause damage, but of course, you can you can attach things to them, and and if you attach an explosive into one of these things and then it hits a plane, you've got a whole different kettle of fish. So so I don't think we'll ever find out exactly what went on. I think there was a lot of. Um, a lot of misinformation only because they didn't know what was going on. Yeah, oh, that's... Uh, and, uh, that's the situation. Yeah, right. I just think they're too cheap, by the way, drones, because if so many people are getting their hands on them, maybe what we need to do is make them more expensive. Yeah, well, we've got to do something. We've got to, you know, there are these things are going to be used commercially. There's no doubt about that. Unless unless the government stops them, uh, these things are going to be able to carry bigger and bigger payloads. As I said, we've already got drones that will carry people. Uh, people-sized drones, and and why not go bigger? They they can be go bigger, and 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 you know what we've got now is helicopters flying around with with with.
lots of people in them. Who's to say that at some stage in the future we won't all be flying around on, on in drones uh, and landing wherever we It'll want to go? It'll be like some scene happen. from The Fifth Element. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, we're not that far away. And if you look at some of the um, forward-thinking people who, you know, talk about pods that can be used on the road and then can be picked up and, and transported around, these things are, it's not that far away. It's, you know, it's a generation perhaps away from being able to do that properly. Yeah. Uh, and we need to rethink how we're going to manage. And at all these building of roads, maybe we won't need them because we'll be flying around in drones. Yeah, but you see, again, unfortunately, without being able to kind of, you know, properly legislate for it and to properly control it, it will be chaos, won't it? I mean, that's why we can't Absolutely. allow it to happen. It's absolutely, and that's exactly where the situation where we are now, because because the drones are getting bigger, people are getting more used to them, their flying time. I mean, let, let me give you the example that I, I consider, and this was 15 years ago. I, I was in counterterrorism security for the, for the government, um, for policing, uh, and we were seriously concerned about drones that could be, could be sent up with explosives on board, uh, which could then fly around and effectively be programmed to land at a certain point at a certain time, uh, and of course the, then detonate. And and that was 10, 15 years ago, and, and things will have got a lot worse, the payloads will have got a lot bigger, uh, and of course the person that actually set this thing up on a, on a trajectory could actually uh, then drive and be thousands of miles away by the time the, uh, by the drone landed. So, so these things are really a big threat to us, um, but also they're a benefit, and we, we've got to look at that as well. Well, sure. What about the 67 sightings that we had of various drones? I've got uh, Global has tweeted me. He says, I've heard the initial sighting was indeed a private drone, which subsequently flew off and didn't return. All the rest were police drones, but spotters weren't aware they'd been deployed. I mean, he doesn't know any more than I do, so he's just making that up as he yeah. goes along. But the bottom line is, um, what about these 67 people who all reported seeing a drone? Well... One drone could be seen by a lot of people, can it? And and this is the key point, I think, uh, because I do know that the police uh, in Gatwick have got a drone. Um, so, you know, it, that could have been spotted. Who, who would know which, you know, a good drone against a bad drone? And that's that's the key point. If you haven't got the kit, if you've not got the, you know, effectively, and I'll call it a radar, if you like, but some form of a radar where you're picking up which drone is which and, and where it is and how it's acting, if you can't come back with the information on that, then you don't know, and it all comes down to people on the ground all seeing things from different angles uh, and, and not actually being able to work out exactly what's going on. No, of course. Listen, Chris, thanks very much indeed. As ever, Chris Phillips, Security Specialist, Managing Director of IPSO as well. Daniel uh, is in Epsom. Hello, Daniel. What's happening, Mike? Yeah, not much, man. What's happening with you? I'm out selling windows and doors all over Surrey in London. Oh, OK, good. Well, let's hope that you don't get caught up in any fake traffic jams created by the government. Well, the thing is, Mike, I, I know someone who works at Gavick who said there was never a drone. Really? In actual fact, he thinks that there was something on their radar and uh, near the runway, near the, near the flight zone, for about nearly two days. Right. And it, was un and it was basically unidentified, and they didn't know what it was, and it was hovering there for nearly two days. If you go online, there's quite a few pictures of this object, whatever it was, right. near the runway, hovering. So... You know, there was, and what do we know so far? We know there was never a drone, right? Right. Well, we don't know we that, know but that we suspect we suspect well, there was never a drone. We, yeah. So there was never a drone. They had to close the airport for two days, right? And some something was on uh, the radar near the uh, the, the flight. Was, was uh, the was yeah. the was the something hovering? Then is that what you're saying? Yeah. So something was hovering near. Uh, the runway for quite some time, for nearly two days, I believe. Well, what do you think? So, if it's not a drone, then what was it then? Well, this is it. No, this is, this is the thing. If you go online, there's quite a few pictures of 
the thing uh, not not too far from from the runway. So, what, does it, what does it look like though? Well, it looks like a like a flying saucer, I guess. It looks what, like, a, like, a, like a drone. <laughs> well, that, it, it looks a lot more like a yeah, like a I guess like an ellipse, like, like, like a drone. <laughs> well, it looks it looks nothing like a drone to be fair. But okay. I mean, if you have an airport down for two days and let's say it was a UFO. You're not going to come out on the news and go, by the way, guys, it's a UFO, are you? Well, I presume it wasn't the kind of UFO we saw in Independence Day, like the giant one. It was probably a UFO like, like which uh, happened, landed at Rendlesham Forest in 1982. I well, went on holiday to... I went, it's, what, it's the most uh, witnessed UFO event in history, uh-huh. and it happened, it happened in Suffolk at Rendlesham Forest in 1982. I went on holiday... Uh, to Mexico, and then I've had a good, good time over there. Yeah. And it just so happened I bumped into a guy that works for NASA who teaches astronauts how to land shuttles, and he was stationed on that airbase in 1982, and a myriad of people saw this object. I mean, it's not, you know, I mean, it, there's, there's something on Netflix called, watch it on Netflix, it's called Unacknowledged, and they interview pilots, MPs, yeah. Well, the problem uh, I have with, with all this UFO spotting, Daniel, is that we now live in an age when everything is photographed. I mean, you know, poor old Wayne Rooney gets photographed uh, when he gets arrested in America. You know, uh, Deli Alley gets photographed checking into the lobby of a hotel, you know, videoed. We now have no, but we've never had any really decent pictures of a UFO ever. Yeah, but there's a reason for that. It's a bit like when David Attenborough is visiting a termite mound. The termites don't know he's there, but he is. But he's a much more sophisticated... Uh, animal than they are, and so to, 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 to crack interstellar space travel, you, you'd, you'd need to have another hundred million years worth of evolution. Well, you, no, know, you just have to have a decent to... camera to take a picture of something that's come down to Earth. Well, yeah, but there are a lot. There are lots of sites. I mean, if you yeah, I know, I know, I know. There's loads of sites, Daniel, but the, the pictures are always rubbish. Well, the pictures are always of something moving at great speed, but I mean, I'm sure. Uh, the powers that be have got clearer images. I mean, in 1976, when uh, they, when we uh, they landed on the moon, there, there, there was apparently there was life already there. There was someone there to meet them. Buzz Aldrin himself on YouTube. If you go onto YouTube, Buzz, Buzz Aldrin says. Don't tell me to go to YouTube for God's sake. Yeah, but a bell-shaped craft followed Apollo 11 to the moon. So. You know, and Buzz Aldrin says that. Yeah, well, Buzz, Aldrin, Buzz Aldrin's been followed around by a lot of people in, in his time. And, you know, he himself admitted that after his trip to the moon, uh, he didn't feel terribly well. But, you know, I've heard all these stories before, Daniel. I know all about them. I've done radio shows about them. I've spoken to people who claim to have seen all sorts of stuff. But it's never, ever really provable. That's my point. Yeah, but it, it, I, I, don't, I think if it was, you know, it's a bit like these giant skeletons they find on the Earth that were at the Smithsonian Museum, you know. Oh, the, the, the apparent Nephilim. Where are they all? Where, where are all the skeletons gone now? You know, why don't they want us to know? Because if you watch Unacknowledged on Netflix, it's people want power. And as soon as, soon as the information is released, imagine if tomorrow, right, we could find an energy source that was abundant and, and never ran out. What would happen to our sort of, or, or, or all the biggest oil companies and energy companies? They'd go under, you know. You spend a lot of time not, thinking about this stuff, Daniel. I do, because I think it's really important. I think it's. The, I don't think so. I think I think it's the biggest topic, really. But. Well, I mean, to be fair, it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit more interesting than Brexit, to be fair. But listen, I've got to go. Daniel, I appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon, I'm sure. Uh, Daniel's one of those guys that thinks that uh, there's something out there, but he doesn't know what it is. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 03444991000. It may or may not, of course, be the final countdown. Uh, it may be the final countdown, but one. Uh, it may be the final countdown before the real final countdown. Uh, it may, in fact, not be a countdown at all. Uh, we will find out, hopefully, this afternoon, whether next Tuesday is indeed the day that there will be a meaningful vote. But the thing that seems to be uh, occupying most people's attention at the moment in the world of politics and the world of Westminster uh, is all the barracking that went on yesterday uh, of Anna Soubry, uh, of Kay Burley, uh, of Femi, uh, our good friend, of course, who occasionally comes on to talk radio to discuss uh, the benefits of uh, staying in the European Union. Let's talk to John Craig, police political correspondent for Sky News, who spends an awful lot of time uh, down on College Green and outside the Houses of Parliament. John, a very good morning to you. Hello, yes, I was there uh, between two and five with Kay and then between five and seven with Mark Austin. Yeah. And uh, I think, well, we've had plenty of abuse uh, in the weeks before Christmas, but I th- what was the worst thing about yesterday was, as you've mentioned, when Anna Subri had done, and she did an interview with Sky News, with Kay, yeah. a lot of abuse during that. She did one with uh, Simon McCoy of the BBC as well. She was called a Nazi during that. But when it turned really ugly was when she left the, what is a reasonably secure area on the green, yeah. to walk back to the Houses of Parliament, she was pursued. I mean, I, I described it last night as a gauntlet of hate. Yes. Um, 
between uh, the Green and uh, one of the entrances to the Houses of Parliament, and that was quite unpleasant. Yes, no, it was. And, I mean, clearly, I mean, people have pointed out uh, over time, in the last sort of 12 hours or so, um, that, yes, uh, politicians should expect to be barracked. Yes, they should expect to be uh, shouted at, particularly if they've done what some believe Anna Subri has done, which is to betray her constituents. That's an argument for another time, I suppose. But what I think is unacceptable, and as, as I'm sure you do, John, is this kind of physical intimidation of what, you know, of, of kind of pressing into people, shouting in their faces, you know, doing something which effectively, if you did it in any other circumstance, you'd probably be arrested. Yes. Um, what happened uh, yesterday was intimidation. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, uh, the other person who's been targeted is um, uh, Owen Jones, yeah. a left-wing writer who has uh, suffered a lot of uh, homophobic uh, taunts and chants right. as well. Yeah. Um, yes, I mean, there were complaints inside the chamber yesterday uh, about from a, a few MPs. One was Steve Doughty, a, a Labour MP from Cardiff. Nick Bowles, a Tory, raised it with the Speaker. Uh-huh. And as you probably know, uh, uh, some MPs have now written to the uh, Met Commissioner, yeah. Cressida Dick, right. saying, come on. I mean, what has worried a, a lot of us? I mean, I, I, we've, been, we've been broadcasting from the Green and the sky box. <laughs> we're right next to the road, so we get the worst Yes. Of it. And uh, whereas the BBC are slightly further away from the road. Is there no way you could sort of cover that up, as it were, so that it'd be more soundproof? Yes. But what has concerned some of us is that uh, the the inaction of the police. Yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah. Shouting, heckling is all part of politics, really. Yeah. Uh, And politicians can live with that. But I think uh, what overstepped the mark yesterday was the intimidation that uh, Anna Subri got as she walked back or tried to walk back to Parliament. Now, what's interesting is that we know that some of these people are from the English Defence League. And in fact, one of the people who was in the middle of the group yesterday, my colleague Jason Farrell from Sky News, has identified him as one of the people who took part in a rather ugly demo in Sunderland a few months ago. Uh, and he was he featured in Jason's report. Is this the guy the that's been posting league. stuff on face on his Facebook page as well? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, right. Well, this is what I was going to ask you because I was down in Westminster for pretty much the, the two weeks just before Christmas break. Um, because I we, saw the talk radio. Tent well, you can't miss green. it. You know, it's the most fabulous looking tent you've ever seen. It's red. It's black. You know, it's yeah, everything's going it. on there. And of course, uh, and I'm in it. So of course, you want to uh, pop in the next time you, we're down there. But um, the thing is, these guys weren't there then, so they, they're relatively newcomers to this. Uh, arena, aren't they? Well, I think they're, uh, when you say they weren't there then, they were there in the uh, week or so in the run-up to Christmas, yes. Uh, but oh, I didn't see them. I think it was far worse than what we saw before Christmas. Right. I mean, as I say, the big difference was the intimidation of politicians, um, you know, and Anna Suba in particular, mm. on their walking between the Green and Parliament. Now, what's the, the problem is, and I no doubt they'll be delighted about this, is, of course, MPs will be reluctant to leave Parliament to go and do interviews yeah. on the Green because they won't, won't want to face all that. No, of course. But the police presumably will be under some pressure now. And I don't know whether you're down there today or whether you've seen these characters, but the police will be under some kind of pressure to do a better job, won't they? Well, they are indeed. They're under pressure from, I think, both the BBC and Sky News have spoken to the police. And what happened yesterday, which hasn't happened until yesterday, was that in the chamber it was raised by uh, some MPs. I say Steve Steve Doughty, Labour MP from Cardiff, he's a Remainer, he raised it with um, Stephen Barclay, the Brexit secretary. And and Stephen Barclay, in his response, actually referred to there's a plaque on the wall in the chamber in memory of Joe Cox the Labour MP for Batley and Spen, who, of course, was murdered just a week before the referendum in 2016. Then Nick Bowles, a Conservative, raised it with the Speaker, uh, and the Speaker, well, um, 
I don't know whether the Speaker has been in touch with the Metropolitan Police, but certainly a lot of Labour MPs have written to the, to the mm. Met, to Cressida Dick, saying, come on, this is uh, not acceptable. And the, the letter talks about how the, the, the Met are well aware of who some of these, what the, the MPs call far-right uh, and uh, extreme-right activists, mm. uh, who they are. Um, but, I, I mean, we have grown frustrated. We, Sky News, have grown frustrated. And we've seen... Up, you know, we've seen little or no police intervention. Right. You know, not even just saying to them, "Calm down," you know, or anything like that. You know, I mean, they're used to keep dealing with football crowds and so on. Sure. And you know, with a bit of sort of sensible policing, you don't have to arrest everybody. You can just ask them to. It's just down exactly, and, yeah, exactly, uh, and just even get in the way. I mean, press association just breaking news at the moment, John, saying that the police officers on duty near Parliament have been briefed uh, in quotes to intervene appropriately where they hear or see breaches of the law. After Tory MP Anna Subri accused them of ignoring the abuse held at politicians and journalists. So, uh, well, the, the breaches of the law, of course, will be. Um, uh, what you might call racist abuse. Yeah. I mean, we, um, as well as the homophobic uh, um, verbal attacks on, uh, on Owen, uh, Owen Jones, I mean, our political editor, Faisal Islam, has had some horrible racist abuse. Yes, I've seen that as well, yeah. Standing alongside uh, Kay Burley and uh, Mark Austin. Yeah, it's shocking stuff. John, listen, we're going to let you go. Thanks very much indeed. John Craig there reporting in uh, from Westminster, where the police have now been told uh, that they have to sort something out. <laughs> This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, 03444991000. Monsieur Moi in France doesn't like women over 50. I've got plenty of tweets uh, to tell him that he's completely and utterly wrong. Uh, keep those coming at Talk Radio, please, and I shall continue uh, to read them out. Uh, one from Linda says, Well, I'm 57 and my husband, who is 11 years younger than me, would heartily disagree with this man. Uh, this guy needs to catch on. Uh, he's getting on a bit and has that slightly unwashed look that French men have sometimes. So I'm quite glad to be off his radar. Uh, let's talk to Peter, uh, who's in Folkestone. Hello. Peter. Hello, Mike. I just I just realised maybe Mr. Was having a pop at Macron. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. But I somehow I think he's a bit too self-centred to be having a pop at anybody other than uh, promoting his own book. To be honest. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's a backhanded attempt to join the yellow vest. <laughs> yeah, could be, could be. You never know. What What are you going to tell us today, Peter? So I'm, I'm so I'm calling Mike to say that for the first time in the best part of a year. I'm going to disagree with you. Okay. Um, because uh, I believe that the treatment that Anna Subri and Owen Jones have got, and I've seen both of those videos, um, in none of those videos that I have seen was Owen Jones abused in, with any sort of gay slurs or, any, or anything like that, nothing I heard. But, you know, no, but he has been. He has been in the past. I've seen. I've seen it, and it's been on TV before. Sure. I, on both occasions, I think that they're, they're kind of um, when they've been actively followed in the street yeah. and filmed and been followed in the street. They've both been called traitors. Mm. Um, and, and Anna Subri yesterday took extreme objection to the word traitor being used with her in addition to a swear word that preceded it. Yeah. Um, she also took and, exception and, to being called a Nazi, I think. Well, well yeah, in, in, indeed. She took exception to that one as well. The first one was traitor. Um, I would point out to Mrs Subri that she is an MP. When she joined the Parliament, she took an oath of allegiance to the Crown to support the Crown in her duties as an MP. And normally, constitutionally, the power of the Crown is held in Parliament. So when Parliament says we're going to do Brexit and she stands up and says, oh, no, that's a bad idea, we shouldn't do it, and then goes about 
trying not to do it, you could argue, might be a bit of a logic stretch, but technically that is either sedition or, or mutiny or, you know, the act of somebody that is betraying the oath that they have given. Except that you could argue the opposite as well, because, in fact, it's not necessarily Parliament uh, that is doing Brexit, as you put it. It's the government that is doing Brexit, right? The government is basically carrying out the will of the people because the people were offered a referendum, uh, regardless of whether people say that it's not a binding referendum. They voted in that referendum to leave the European Union. But she's also doing her job, if she wishes to do it this way, uh, by uh, disagreeing with that and saying that she has a different view and the electorate have the right to then react to that, if you like. I think I think what you've said, Mike, is absolutely perfectly correct. Yeah. And so what? what so then this this kind of goes to the nub of this issue, mm. which is when does a political discussion become an offensive conversation? Well, I think it's very clear when it does so, and it and it did that yesterday when you've got these snarling kind of characters uh, who are clearly not interested really in political discussion. They're interested in abuse, they're interested in shouting, they're interested in intimidating people uh, and physically kind of confronting them. That, to me, is not political discourse, I'm afraid. Right, so, there, I mean, the, the unfortunate thing is that there is no law and there is no legal set of behaviours uh, that, you know, for example, um, I'm not trying to do, draw equivalents here, it sounds like I am, but there's this practice of deplatforming people, yeah. a lot of conservative viewpoints in the United States and Australia mm. and in the UK are being actively targeted by groups to prevent the speech at all. Not, not to disagree with the points of sure. the speech, but to prevent it from happening. And this practice is growing further and further and further. It is. Uh, and I mean, certainly there are those who believe, and I think Anna Subri has said this herself, who believe that this direct sort of action that these guys are taking is specifically designed to intimidate MPs and politicians from coming out and speaking to the media because they have to then cross the road. And I don't know how familiar you are with Parliament Square, but they have to basically walk across to College Green and run past these people uh, who are going to be giving them a hard time. Now, a lot of MPs will now decide they don't want to risk that because they don't, it's not a very pleasant experience. Unfortunately, it is um, a, a public uh, place, and if MPs wish to conduct interviews in a public place, then they have to accept that the public may very well be between them and their... And their no, of course, of course, but I don't think anyone would object. I mean, to be fair to Anna Soubry, and I'm not particularly keen on the way that she has conducted herself as far as some of the things that she said and some of the ways that she's, uh, you know, reacted to things... However, you know, she hasn't objected to people calling her name. She hasn't objected to people, you know, uh, being abusive towards her. But what she has objected to is this kind of roughing up that she received yesterday. And it was a roughing up. Whether she was actually physically assaulted or not is not the point. She was roughed up by these, by these yobbos. And that's what they are. The, the, uh, the videos um, are not very, very uh, generous to uh, the people that were trying to uh, involve her in the discussion. They were they were loud. They were they were they were aggressive. Um, you know and what you could. Uh, I, I think a lot of this is is because there's such a gap between the public and the politicians. Yes, the no, I, I accept all of that, but it still doesn't excuse what they did, Peter. And that is my that I, I'd say I know where the line is. You can disagree with me, but I think you you'd be wrong. And I think everybody knows where that line is, and they crossed it. I think the situation, and I, I, I disagree with what was done. I disagree with the manner in which it was done. Yeah. The problem is that 
I believe the situation and the circumstances now are driving people to extremes. Yeah, but that doesn't make it right, no, does it? There is no middle ground. Regardless of whether it's right, wrong or sideways, if people view it from whichever yeah. side of the fence, left or right, if people view that as the only way of getting something across, then, to be honest, Ms Subri and all the other MPs are at risk. Jacob Rees-Mogg... Yeah, you, you yeah, but you agree with me, Peter, that it was wrong. I, but, but the problem statement is it's not up to the public to find mechanisms that suit MPs' sensibilities. MPs must be in touch with That's the true. population. But there's, no need, but, there's, but there's no need for that kind of behaviour, Peter. I've got to let you go because we're out of time, but thank you. In fact, you do agree with me. So when you say you're ringing up to disagree with me, you don't disagree with me, you agree with me, which is no uh, surprise to me whatsoever. A rather interesting story in some of the papers this morning uh, where uh, researchers are close to producing a genetically modified spicy tomato. Now, imagine going down to the supermarket and saying, well, I must make some chilli tonight, so I'm just going to buy, instead of some chillies and some tomatoes, I'm just going to buy some spicy tomatoes. Uh, Tim, what's it all about? Very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. <clears throat> yeah, as you said, researchers have said they haven't actually managed to make this new tomato yet, but right. they've, they've published a, a scientific journal article which says they think they're close to figuring out how to do the genetic modifications to combine the chilliness of, of uh, chilli peppers inside our regular tomatoes. I mean, I suppose this has all sorts of ramifications for the vegetable world, doesn't it? Because presumably, um, if you look down your, your sort of tin tomatoes aisle in the supermarket, you can get all sorts of passata that's got, you know, basil in it or passata with mixed herbs or oregano or something. You can presumably grow a tomato that was mixed up with some oregano as well. Yeah, I mean, I have to be honest with you, I'm not a genetic expert myself, but um, <laughs> the, in the interesting thing about it is that actually the, the, they're not actually trying to do this to help those chefs in the kitchen trying to make a nice chilli or whatever. They're actually doing this because the, the things that make spice, these substances called capsaicinoids, are actually really useful for business. And right. so they're using things like antibiotics and painkillers and pepper spray. Right. And the idea is if you can grow them in tomatoes, you can mass produce tomatoes really easily and then get the spiciness out and, and put it into other kind of chemicals. And the fact they might be appearing in the aisles is kind of a, a helpful side effect, really. Oh, OK. So, I mean, uh, they've, they've been doing this operation over in Brazil, I believe. So, I mean, how soon do you think before uh, we'll find out what, you know, whether they can actually physically produce one of these things? Well, it's, it's hard to say. The scientists in Brazil said they, what they found out is that tomatoes and chili peppers have a common ancestor, and so the tomato has some of the genes needed to make the spiciness, but they're not exactly sure how to turn on these genes. So what they're currently doing is they're kind of doing a bit of trial and error where they're going through various different methods to try and uh, switch on the genes to make grow tomatoes that have chili. But, I mean, how long that takes, is, it's hard to say. I mean, it, they're just kind of going through one by one these various things inside the genetic code of the tomato. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully soon, let's, let's say. I mean, I'm, I think I'm right in saying that I've seen a few kind of merged vegetables over time. Like, I think there's, uh, there's something that you can, you can get that's sort of cross between a potato and a leek or something. I think I'm right in saying, I can't remember what it is, but I remember seeing it in a shop and thinking, that's unusual. But there's obviously, there's a, kind of a, an appetite for this kind of thing, if, if nothing else, just from the, the foodie brigade, because they all love something new and, and fanciful, don't they? Absolutely. I mean, do you remember that fad a few years ago about the cronut where someone managed to combine a croissant that's and a right. donut? Yes, that's you know, right. People that's go what crazy it is, yeah. for this kind I of love stuff. it, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. But I mean, of course, in, in Europe, there are sometimes concerns. People have worries about genetically modified food. But every time the scientists have kind of looked into this, 
they haven't been able to find any any signs that it's actually bad for us to eat these kind of new foods, even though people give them kind of scare labels like yeah. frankenfoods and that kind of thing. But the research shows that actually they're perfectly safe to eat. Sure. Funnily enough, the whole genetically modified food debate seems to have disappeared, doesn't it? Because there was a time when, when there was a genetically modified, I think, corn being grown or something in this country, and the Americans mm. were certainly doing quite a lot of it. But, but you don't really hear anybody talking about it anymore. Yeah, I think I think there was there was a lot of scaremongering, a lot of fear, as there often is when something new turns up. But I think what is, what's happened in recent years is that there's been a lot of research into the the potential health benefits or downsides, and and the researchers said, you know what, eating a, a chili tomato that has never existed in the wild is going to do no more harm to you than eating an ordinary tomato that we've had for thousands of years. Right. Uh, you know, scientists aren't aren't creating these kind of spooky frankenfoods. They're just tweaking a few <laughs> genes at the, at the thing to produce, you know, things that we're very familiar with. You know, everyone's eating chili peppers before they don't kill you unless you have, obviously, one that's too spicy for your taste. Yeah, well, you certainly have to watch out for the old habaneros and all those kinds of Absolutely. things. But, but certainly the piece in the mail today, they don't even seem sure what to call this. They don't know whether it should be called a chili mato, which I prefer, or a tomili. <laughs> Tomili's a really bad one, I think. Yeah, I think Chili Marto has got much more legs to that, but we'll have to see what the branders and the advertisers come up with when these eventually arrive on our shelves. Yeah, no, Hold absolutely. For that one. I think so. Thank you very much indeed, Tim White, for a journalist there talking about uh, the Chili Marto, uh, which is not actually on our uh, shelves yet, but may well be soon, which is a tomato uh, with a spicy kick to it uh, because it's genetically mixed up with the chili. I think there's all sorts of possibilities uh, for this, and I think it's probably a good thing. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 